Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. This is Tom Salemi. Well, we are two days removed from the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. We uh, packed the ballroom at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel in Boston. Had well over 300 people there. Uh, lots of uh, leaders from the healthcare and the digital health and tech space. Uh, great job by our co-chairs, Robert Mittendorf of Norwest and Bill Geary of Flare Capital in helping us put together an agenda that really, uh, really uh, hit it out of the ballpark. So thanks very much for your uh, time and commitment, gentlemen. We were uh, pleased to have uh, Governor Charlie Baker of Massachusetts as our guest, and uh, you can watch that entire interview conducted by Todd Cousins. It's, uh, it's on the video page or the video link on this Breaking Health newsletter. So uh, if you haven't subscribed to the Breaking Health newsletter, but you are getting this podcast, go to healthag.com. So we're in health, followed by the letters egy.com, and you can uh, sign up to receive the Breaking Health newsletter in your inbox and I'll have a link to the interview with uh, Governor Charlie Baker, who is, uh, of course, an experienced healthcare guy uh, and, a, and a fantastic, uh, fantastic leader in healthcare and in politics. So uh, he had lots, lots of great things to say. We were also pleased to have uh, Dan Burton, the CEO of Health Catalyst, up on stage. Uh, Health Catalyst was given our Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit Innovator Award. And uh, Dan was on hand. He was interviewed by Steve Krupa, who, of course, had talked to him previously. For a Breaking Health podcast, we ran that first time uh, over a year ago, and then re-ran that a few weeks ago prior to the summit. So now you can sort of see part two of their conversation, or you can listen to it. Rather, you'll be able to see it on healthag.com in a couple of weeks. But uh, today on this podcast, you can listen to it. So we're going to uh, share that uh, interview with you. Steve and I will do a little, uh, a little intro like we normally do prior to the podcast, and then we'll get right into it. And uh, we hope that you'll enjoy the content that comes from the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. We certainly hope you were there. Uh, but if you weren't, we'll try to uh, provide some of the uh, highlights that you missed. So stay tuned. Sign up for the Breaking Health Newsletter at healthag.com. And uh, we'll get you uh, content and insights from uh, a great day in Boston at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. Now, let's hit this podcast. All right, well, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. We are on location at the Digital Healthcare God. Innovation Summit. We are, it's, a, it's about 1,000 people here. Everybody's right, here. Everybody's here. <laughs> I can't move from my spot at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel. Right. We're doing a quick intro here. You had a, a keynote address or keynote interview with yeah. Dan Burton. What a nice guy. Great guy. Great to see him in person. Great to see him get a... An award from you guys, the Digital Innovator Award. Deserved. And uh, we tried to build on our podcast, get in, get a little bit more information. Uh, nice conversation about building long-term value. And we got into some of the ins and outs of uh, what his actual company does for its customers in terms of improving costs and improving clinical outcomes. Great. And we'll have that. We're going to put this up on, as this week's podcast. So anyone who was unlucky enough not to be here today, right. they'll get to at least to enjoy that part. More content will be coming down the pike through the Breaking Health newsletter. Yeah. And for now, they can enjoy this little snippet of this great event. Yeah, terrific. So good to talk to you again. We've, we've done this before, and uh, it's part of the podcast, but, but we didn't do it with you as an award recipient for pragmatic innovation, I guess is what <laughs> we were talking about. 
So I think we've got a little bit of time, so let's, let's cover a, a couple of interesting things. Um, first being, you know, uh, Intermountain is, of course, very well known as a, as a delivery system and as an insurer, as an innovator in trying to, to deliver the best possible care. And you were able to, to pull some of that innovation out and actually commercialize that. And that's no easy task. So my question would be first, uh, how did you guys figure out you could commercialize it? And then, and then why did you decide to take on the challenge to commercialize it? Yeah, commercialization is tricky. And I think there are a lot more ways to do it the wrong way than to do it the right way. And, and we're speaking from experience. Um, so I think uh, a couple of the reasons why I think Steve and Tom had enough courage to give it a shot. And then I think uh, over time, a couple of things helped us uh, make enough right decisions to compensate for the wrong decisions and the mistakes that we made along the way. But, but one of them certainly goes back to the innovative nature of Intermountain in general. Uh, for decades now, they have really been on the forefront in many ways at a very pragmatic level in figuring out how do you s systematize outcomes improvement. And the more that I studied from afar, um, the learnings that were gleaned because of those, those forward-thinking approaches that Intermountain took. They were one of the first uh, health systems to decide to, to integrate uh, from a payer-provider perspective. And the, the, uh, the perspective that was gleaned and the interest in data across many different sources was really driven by that fundamental strategic decision. And Steve and Tom and Dale, uh, a couple of the, the really early folks and a few of the cl clinical leaders at Intermountain really came uh, to the problem earlier than most other health systems. So they had migrated from paper to electronic medical, medical records early and discovered that uh, just going through that transition is not enough to really harness the power of data. And so they got to experiment with different architectures, different approaches to using data to improve outcomes. And over a long period of time, many years, which really, in a way, um, shortened and de-risked the process of commercialization because of the experience that occurred at Intermountain and the, um, the recognition that the principles that were followed really worked. Yeah. I think that really helped Steve and Tom feel comfortable and then the second thing that I would, I would share is we benefited greatly from some very uh, innovative and great partner customers who are our earliest customers. And, and one of the customers uh, is represented here. Stanford was one of our earliest customers. We've had a, a over five-year relationship with them. And their willingness to take a chance on this really small company at the time that Stanford chose to work with Health Catalyst, I think we had four employees, right. five employees. But four we've been able- Four good employees. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah hopefully, hopefully that's true. Um, but, uh, but they enabled us to grow with them. And we had just enough uh, use cases that actually worked where there was enough uh, to take that leap of faith. And I think, I think having four or five really strong early customers yeah. that were innovative really helped us with pattern recognition from an architectural design perspective to see 
what patterns emerge, whether it's an academic medical center, whether it's a, an integrated health system, whether it's a large or small, rural, urban, um, and, and see the data warehouse architecture that cut across all of those use cases. And I think that, that helped us build a more robust platform. Yeah, no, it's like, thank God for those early customers, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they put up with a lot. They do. But we need them to build these companies. We yep. need them to sort of work with us uh, when you want to do something innovative uh, and, 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 cut, and, and, and be patient as we sort of build the products, right? Yes. Can I just mention one other yeah. uh, related point to that? Early on, as, as a, a small group uh, in our leadership, we try to think through what are the things that can't change and what are some of the attributes that we need to, to adopt to really be successful. And one of the attributes that we, we talked a lot about and, and we decided to try to emphasize is the attribute of humility. And I think you know, the more that I reflect on where Health Catalyst uh, has developed, the more I think we can see the influence and the significant impact of health systems like Stanford and Alina and Partners and uh, UPMC and many others that really uh, we have benefited greatly and, and at the very beginning Intermountain. Um, and I think in the healthcare industry, one of the, one of the things that we've wanted to be a part of who we are at Health Catalyst is that sense that the mission that we're, we're trying to achieve is way bigger than one company. And the achievement of that mission, you know, as Brent said in the video, if we do everything right, we're this little tiny part of health systems and providers and caregivers actually on the front lines making the transformation from a, uh, from a healthcare transformation perspective actually happen. It's, it is a group effort for sure. Yeah, it's very good. Cool. I want to talk to you about sort of building a company for the long term, but the first thing I'd like to do is just take, uh, take healthcare analytics and, and outcomes improvements. Just take it down to a little bit of a specific level for, for us, maybe in a use case about what your customers are really trying to accomplish uh, when they use your technology and your services. Sure. So there's, there's two predominant use cases that, uh, that we try to help our health system partners with. And they both require the same first step. So whether you want to, to achieve significant clinical outcomes or financial outcomes, you got to start with data. And so our first step when we work with health systems is a massive data um, integration exercise where we try to identify what are all the major sources of data that we would want flowing into a single data platform and let's get that flow occurring. And we use an architecture that is late binding, it's flexible, it's fast, so that that can become the platform for all kinds of improvement activities over many, many years uh, and maybe even decades. So that's the first step. And there's a lot of effort required. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of plumbing, a lot of pipe building to get the pipes built from those sources of data into a single source of truth in the data platform. So that's step one. Then step two is to prioritize where uh, are we going to make the biggest difference, the biggest impact from a clinical perspective and from a financial perspective. So with regards to the clinical perspective, um, we run 
a series of analytics based on all that data that we've now uh, put into the data warehouse to prioritize where is there the greatest cost within the system of populations of patients, uh, disease states. Uh, it could be various ways of thinking about uh, clinical outcomes improvements. Uh, and then we look for variation. We look for uh, inefficiency. Um, and that inefficient, inefficiency can result in you know, high cost, but also significant patient injury and patient safety issues. And so uh, what we will typically do is identify two or three or four of the most significant clinical opportunities and two or three or four of the most significant financial opportunities when we look, again, across a wide variety of data sources to identify uh, where are there gaps right. between what we should be doing and, and what we are doing. And so whether we choose, for example, uh, to work with our sepsis patient population and implement a series of standard protocols that are consistent with the evidence, that we now have a data infrastructure that's permanent that allows us to see every single day if we're adhering to those protocols. And then uh, an ability to measure the impact, both in terms of lives saved, which is incredibly meaningful, and the cost difference that occurs when you follow those correct algorithms. Likewise, that's an example that helps both clinically and financially. There are some more pure financial or operational activities, workflow improvements in the surgery um, preparation process or ED workflow improvements, rev cycle improvements. And we have a series of analytics that tries to identify where are the biggest opportunities that the CFO would look at and say, yeah, I'm getting a real return here. And often what we try to do is, is strike the right balance so that there are enough financial benefits that all of our work is more than paid for uh, through the financial activities. And then that gives us permission to do more and more of the clinical improvements, which is kind of where our, our heart where usually our heart lies. Yeah. You can find the combination of the two. And I, I have to imagine that the, the, the products and the services and the insights get better the, the more customers you add, right? Very so much so. So every, every hospital is different, but yet every hospital is doing some of the same thing, right? Yeah, there are definitely segments, right, yeah. within the health uh, healthcare industry. So academic medical centers look different from um, rural hospitals, and they look different from specialty hospitals, children's hospitals. But among a pretty defined group of sub-segments, we find that there are definite patterns. Uh, and we, we try to be good learners in looking at the data across all of those sub-segments and proactively um, suggesting to our client partners where there may be some real opportunities uh, for improvement. Do you, do you see uh, your, your, your company as an engine to help these hospitals compete as value-based reimbursement starts to become uh, less of an idea and more of an actuality? Yes. We, um, I, I appreciated the discussion. Governor Baker, wasn't he fantastic? Yeah, he was great. Um, he was great. That, the discussion that he mentioned, the speech in 1996, yeah. I, was a, I was an entry-level um, um, consultant at the Boston Consulting Group in 96, and, or 97, 96, 97, building um, a financial model around capitation. Right. Everything was going to be capitated. Everybody thought yeah. we were going yeah. we to, you know, by the year 2000, it would all be fee-for-value type models. 
And so it does take a long time. And, and I think that will continue to be, to be the case. That actually makes it pretty tricky. I mean, very tricky, actually. The, the more that we dive into the data and we try to put ourselves in the position of the CFO of a health system, you have to act in a schizophrenic way, in very, in very meaningful ways. It's very difficult to build two sets of infrastructure, one for fee-for-service and one for fee-for-value. And so what we try to focus on is, you know, what is a logical roadmap of activities today, uh, like workflow-type activities, that work and help your bottom line no matter what your payment model is? And then how do we help design with our client partners a, a bridging strategy where we take on more and more of the right kinds of activities as more of their payer mix, uh, their payment model mix shifts? And that's, that's really tricky. And it's part of the reason why also early on we felt at Health Catalyst that if we were to, to contribute to the mission of seeing healthcare truly be transformed through data, it would never be enough for us just to design great software. We want to do that, um, but the need to bring expertise and partnership and flexibility based on a lot of factors that are way outside of our control and often outside the control of, of our health system partners, like the timing and the, and the way in which uh, the economic model mix shifts. We need to be right there in the trenches with them. We need to be flexible and be good listeners as partners with them, or we're not going to be the kind of partner that, that we hope to be. Hey, everybody. Tom here. Just going to take a quick break from this conversation to give a shout-out to our sponsors. We couldn't do this day without them. So thank you to uh, sponsors of the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. They include our premier sponsors, GE, Goodwin, Corn Ferry, and Optum. Our major sponsor is Silicon Valley Bank. Our strategic sponsors include Athena Health, DRX Capital, Norwest Venture Partners, and our supporting sponsors include Amazon Web Services, Deloitte, Silos Group Managers, and Startup Nation Central. So thank you to everyone for their support of the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. And now let's get back to this podcast. I, I guess we could take this to the next step, which says um, the mission of building uh, a great healthcare IT company is, uh, is a long-term mission, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's not a five-year mission. It's not a three-year mission. Uh, it's in, you know, if we, the, the governor's comments about, in, in our experience with, you know, everything was going to be capitated until it wasn't capitated, right? Yep. Except unless you live in California and, and southern Florida. Um, so how do you approach a business that has such immediate needs for your customers and at the same time recognize you've got to be long-term focused? so that you can build long-term value and be there for the changes that seem to take less, more time than we expect often. Yeah. I, I think in particular, the longer that I spend in healthcare as a proportion of my career, the more convinced that I am that um, if you don't bring the long-term focus, it's going to be very difficult uh, to achieve your mission and really be the kind of partner that that is needed. And when I look at companies that I admire uh, in the healthcare technology space, they're companies that have made a long-term commitment right. and that, uh, that were there 10 years ago and 20 years ago. And they're going to be there 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And so 
we've tried to be good learners and try to emulate some of those elements. And we've been fortunate. Our, our two largest investors at Health Catalyst are Sequoia Capital and Norwest Venture Partners. And I would classify them as unique in their long-term orientation. That um, yeah, a number of times over the last six or so years since I've been involved with the company, we've been approached to be acquired um, by a, a potential strategic acquirer. And we as and a leader- keep doing that, by the way. We're <laughs> never gonna stop doing that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and so so you, you, given that that's true, yeah. you have to be very thoughtful and you have to prepare. And so one of the things we tried to do very early on at Health Catalyst was identify what is our mission? What are our operating principles and what are our cultural attributes? And what are the outgrowths of that mission, those operating principles and, and cultural attributes? And our, our, first, uh, our first operating principle is to see our customers' long-term outcomes massively improve. And if, if those aren't just words on a page, then you should see evidence of that commitment throughout the fabric of the organization. And to us, as a leadership team, that meant we can't sell out. We can't. Right. Or we're forfeiting, in our mind, the, the ability to accomplish that mission. And I felt, at a personal level, you know, a lot of our, our health system customer relationships are very deep. And, and uh, I look, you know, the CEO of Alina Health in the eye, and we shake hands, and we sign a 10-year agreement that we're going to massively improve their outcomes together. I can't shake her hand, I can't shake Penny Wheeler's hand in good faith if we haven't built fabric and infrastructure around being health catalyst 10 years from now. If we're acquired in six years, it's really hard for me to keep that promise. And so uh, before we took any capital from Sequoia or Norwest or any other of our investors, we lived our fourth operating principle, which is transparency. and we. Robert was in these meetings. He probably remembers them. But we sit down with the partner group and say, We're, we as a leadership team are not open to being acquired. We think we need to be Health Catalyst 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And if that doesn't work for you from a time horizon and an investment thesis perspective, then invest with someone else. And that's OK. We'll, we'll go find investors that, um, that fit with that kind of long-term focus. And we've been very fortunate that Sequoia and Norwest have been very supportive in that regard. And, you know, clearly we need to offer our investors a return and offer them liquidity at some point. And so there are implications to that strategy, but uh, we, feel, we feel like we're making the right trade-offs long-term so that, so that we can keep that commitment long-term. And uh, with a, a little under a minute left, um, I want you to tell us what the secret to all that is. Transparency sounds like part of it. Sounds like you've got to have uh, uh, a close relationship with your customers and, and utilize that as a strategic asset. Yep. But, but what else goes into that? Recruiting people, right? Building an organizational structure. Can you yeah. share some of the secrets? Or are they, is it, are they things that you've developed over time? That you know, the, um, part of the aspect of, I think, humility and trying to um, to, uh, to reflect that cultural attribute is the recognition that when we follow principles, we didn't invent them. We're, we're just, we've learned from others. We right. stand on others' shoulders. 
and we try to, more than anything, maybe be good learners. And, and so we've identified three things we think we need to have in place in order to accomplish the mission of massively helping our customers massively improve outcomes. And that is we've got to build great software, great technology. We've got to bring trusted expertise. And then we've got to build a best place to work. So for us to be your best partner as a health system, the stuff that you're asking us to do in, in building software and in bringing clinical and financial domain expertise, we've got to be better than anybody else at attracting talent in those domain areas and then retaining that talent. So I view my number one job as a CEO actually not first uh, at, at helping my customers, because I, I can't be with every customer every day, but our team members can, and they are. If I can create a best place to work, that's actually our third bullet of our mission statement, create the best place to work that our team members have ever experienced in their careers. And, and we measure voluntary turnover rate. You know, we're at 3% uh, right. voluntary turnover rate. Right. We measure it, we read, and we respond to, and we review in, in every all team member meeting every Glassdoor comment, even the tough ones. Uh, we talk about them, and we, and we try to be good learners. And, and we measure every six months um, what, what Gallup engagement scores we have. And every, every people manager's bonus is tied to that. So I think that, more than anything, is, is what we need to hold on to uh, if we're going to stay on the right trajectory. Awesome. Well, congratulations again. And uh, it's great to talk with you again. Thank you, Steve. Yep. Well, that is a wrap. I want to first thank everybody who made the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit such a great success. I won't go listing them by name, but of course, thanks to our co-chairs, thanks to our advisory board, thanks to our sponsors. I listed them earlier in the podcast, and thanks to our uh, panelists, and of course, finally, our team. The, uh, the day was a, a wild success. We couldn't be happier, but we're not going to be satisfied. Next year, we'll be even better, guaranteed. So, thank you for attending. If you haven't attended or weren't able to attend, do sign up for the Breaking Health newsletter. Go to healthag.com, the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y.com, and we'll send you content directly to your inbox. And, of course, related to this podcast, thank you, Dan Burton of Health Catalyst, uh, for making the trip over to Boston, and uh, congratulations on receiving our Innovator Award. Steve Group of the Silos Group, thanks for uh, leading that conversation on stage and uh, for continuing to make the Breaking Health Podcast an important part of Healthogy's uh, digital healthcare vertical. So we're really grateful to everyone who's working with us to uh, make the day a great success. And thank you, of course, for listening to this podcast. So that's a lot of thanks, but we are, we're very grateful people. And uh, please tune in next week for another tale of innovation on the Breaking Health Podcast.